This is the Motion Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information about Motion Church, you can always visit our website at motionchurch.com. If you'd like to contribute to what God is doing here at Motion, you can do that at motionchurch.com forward slash give. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Oh, hey. Sorry, I was uh, checking up on some stuff. You guys really weren't that important in that moment. I was more I was more concerned about the people on here who I don't know, who don't care about me, than I was the people who are right in front of my face who I do know and who I care about and who care about. Ouch, right? Don't we do that kind of stuff? Does that stuff frustrate you? You know what frustrates me, I think, probably more than just about anything? And, and what frustrates me is that I, it frustrates me, and then I do it, which is even more frustrating. Uh, like when people are trying to like, have a meaningful conversation with you, or you're trying to have a, meaning, a meaningful conversation with them, and they just keep, they keep getting distracted by their, their phones, their friends. that I call them your fake friends, because, I mean, how many, how many friends do you have on social media who ain't your friends, right? How many times have you had the conversation where it's like, oh, man, uh, I know we, we're just now meeting for the first time in real life, but I think we're friends on Facebook. It's not, a, it's not a friend, right? That's, that's a, a connection that knows somebody that you know that maybe, whatever, you understand what I'm saying. So we're doing a series. We're kicking off a series called Dark Reflection. And so here's the idea. The series is centered around technology, uh, but be, be okay. It's going to be okay if, if you are a lover of technology. I am a lover of technology. I love technology. In fact, uh, I resonate very, very, uh, very much with Kip in Napoleon Dynamite. Do you all remember the song? I love technology. But not as much as you, you see, right? Uh, and we know I'm training to be a cage fighter, so clearly, right? So, so technology is not the problem. That's that's here. This is kind of what we hope to communicate through the this this series. Technology is not the problem. What we do so often is we use technology as the scapegoat, when in reality our hearts are the culprit, right? So, so what it is is technology. In in this case, my screen is broken, which is just kind of par for course, right? I, I'm. I'm not, I treat my phone like I treat my life. I'm very rough. I'm very cavalier. Um, so we, our phones are essentially a, a mirror, right? They reflect back to us. Technology is a, a mirror that reflects back to us maybe some of the things that are going on in our hearts. And I think what you find so often is that, that we, we, again, because we use technology as the scapegoat and we don't do the actual hard work of figuring out what's going on in our hearts, we kind of then just put all of the, the responsibility off on, it's, it's the deference that we do, right? We defer all of the responsibility to technology. We blame technology. And again, the issue is our hearts. So we're doing a series that addresses some of these heart issues, maybe, that you have, that I have. And this is where I, I want to be very clear. This is a series about sharing my suffering. Um, because this is not pointing the finger at everybody or anybody. This is about me telling you about some of the things that I struggle with and I suspect that you struggle with, and I hope that we can get through it together better, right? Technology is not the issue. Our hearts are the issue. Technology is like, a, it's like money, right? It's just a magnifier. It, just, it, it helps us to see things more clearly than maybe we would have seen them before. It reveals the condition of our hearts. This is what Scripture warns us with regards to our heart. Because this is our, the culture that we live in is like everybody's running around telling you the, the, a couple of things that you hear so often, like your truth, your, your truth. I'm like, that's weird because you lie to yourself all the time. So what, what are you going to do with your truth? Would you even know your truth if it slapped you in the face? Uh, because it, so we do that. And then we do this, this, we'll follow your heart, follow your heart. 
follow your heart. Uh, your heart also has probably told you to do some really stupid things. So how about you don't follow your heart? How about you, you find truth elsewhere and you follow that instead? This is what Scripture tells us about our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. The heart is deceitful. That son of a gun will lie to you. It will get you into situations. It's like, to me, our heart is kind of, it's the precursor to sin, right? Because it's ultimately about how we feel, and therefore we do what we feel, what feels good, what makes us feel a certain type of way, as we say. And so the heart is a precursor to sin, and sin, as we know, it takes us further than we wanted to go, it keeps us longer than we wanted to stay, and it costs us more than we wanted to pay. So you keep listening to that heart, and you end up in these situations, and you wonder how you got there. I can, I can help you, honey. I'm going to tell you how you got there. You listen to your heart. Because it is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? Now, here's the good news. I know you, you read that and you're like, man, that is just devastating, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do from there? The good news is in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, the very next verse, it says this. So let's read it all together. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? The, the phrase desperately wicked actually means incurably sick, like sick beyond hope and beyond repair, but... Who can know it? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So, you know, you kind of, in verse 9, it's like, well, who can know it? Who can understand it? And the good news is that God knows it and God understands it. And I also believe that he wants us to know it and us to understand it. And so God communicates truths in, in all of these various ways through the world around us. And Jesus was so masterful at this, right? Jesus would, he would so often use things that people understood to help them to understand things that they wouldn't understand otherwise. Understand? There's a lot of understanding. In fact, he began so many of his stories with the kingdom of heaven is like, and in the like, the analogy, he would, he would use things that people understood. He would use farming as an analogy. He would use money as an analogy. He would use relationships as an analogy. These things that we can kind of grasp, he would use those to communicate truth. And so I think Jesus, again, kind of through this, we understand that God is using this, this mirror, this thing that is reflecting back to us, hopefully to help us to better understand our hearts because if you understand it, you can't fix what you don't know, right? You, you can't address, you can't help the things that you don't understand. But if you start to understand it, then I think you can actually start to work on it. Have you tried to work on anything that you didn't understand? It did not turn out well. I can take it apart really well. I cannot put it back together. Um, so this is what we're going to look at as far as this series goes. Is, is, so let's, let's view it like this. If, if we look at this mirror, this reflection, and it does reflect to, back to us so some semblance of darkness, some type of darkness, that would indicate an unhealthy heart, right? Kind of in terms of imagery, if you look at it, and it's almost like a, it would almost be like a health mirror, right? A, a medical mirror, and you look at it, and it reflects back to you, eh, maybe you want to keep some of that on taps, right? Maybe you want to keep some of that under tabs and, and keep it, be aware that this is a potential issue. I'm at the age in my life where I have to go to the doctor every year. And he's like, all right, we'll see you in a year. And I'm like, you will not see me until then because that's, I'll figure it out, right? And so go back, and, you know, of course, they draw blood, and they send it off, and they get the labs, and they bring it back. And then so that's always the, the most, I don't know, frustrating part, because then he's like, hey, your cholesterol. I'm like, doc, I eat. I told you that. And I'm like, I'm not, I will, I'm always, I'm of the belief that you can still outwork a bad diet. It hadn't happened yet. But I'm trying real hard. 
I love Mexican food. I just, I can't help myself. And so anyway, the mirror is, is a reflection, and it may indicate to us some darkness. So with that in mind, think about it like this. That's what we're going to do over the next few weeks, is we're going to look at some statements about what, what an unhealthy heart may look like because of what we're aware of as a result of this reflection. Does that make sense? Good. So here's our first statement for this week. It's, it's this. An unhealthy heart chooses entertainment over impact. An unhealthy heart chooses entertainment over impact. Does anybody else feel attacked yet? And listen, let me, I, again, as I was, I was planning all this stuff out and writing, I'm like, man, I'm just setting myself up because I just, I know that I'm going to be at my house, on my couch, at the end of the day, choosing entertainment over impact, and somebody's going to bring it up, and you're bringing up old stuff, and I don't need you bringing up old stuff. Right, So I, I believe that one of the dark reflections that we can see kind of in this, this proverbial mirror is that we have a, a proclivity, we have a tendency, we, we have a leaning towards entertainment over impact. And I know this is true, not just because I see it in examples of other people, but because I see it, I see the struggle in my own heart, right? I, I know that the struggle to, to, to desire to be entertained is there versus the, the choosing and the willingness to be impactful. I feel that struggle in my own heart, and that struggle is real. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? If you're taking notes, the title for today's message is, Here We Are Now. Any, does anybody know? Can you just, let me, let me back it up. Let me, we're going to play a game. You guys good with this? So the statement is, an unhealthy heart chooses entertainment, entertainment, entertainment over impact. And then the title for the message is, Here We Are Now. Y'all not y'all not getting it, man. I thought it, I thought somebody from the '90s would get it. Here we are now. Okay, entertain. Okay, I wish I could sing. God, I wish I could sing. Oh, no, that was good. I, I I mean, it made sense in my head. I guess that's really all that matters. It's not like I'm trying to communicate to a crowd of people. So, entertainment. Entertainment is something that I think we so often, we default to, we choose over impact. And I have three, three ideas as to maybe why we do this. The first one is this. Entertainment's a lot easier. It is, it is so much easier to choose entertainment or to default to entertainment or just to kind of lean that direction than it is to choose to be impactful. It's a lot easier. Entertainment's a lot easier than eye contact. Right? I, I'm, I'm still figuring this out. Like, what's an appropriate amount of eye contact? Right? When you're having a conversation with somebody, like, do you never look away? Do you look away only occasionally? Do you only look away when you're talking, then they think you're lying, like they're psychoanalyzing you? Like, when, what is the, how do you eye contact, right? It's, it's, it's like a challenge. It's difficult. Whereas choosing not to make eye contact and choosing instead just to be like, right? Uh, I would love to look at you, but however, I'm just very enamored with the thing, the thing, Right? Uh, so it's, it's easier to be entertained than it is to make eye contact. It's easier, it's easier to be entertained than it is to keep up with the chaos and busyness of a, a young child, for example. Now, this is the one I was afraid of that I, I'd probably get the most flack because people don't like to tell you. They don't like you to tell them what you think about parenting. So I'm not going to tell you what I think about parenting. I'm going to tell you what I think about me parenting and Shelly parenting, and you do with it what you want. I think it is, I think it is one of the great maybe one of the great travesties of our modern society that we choose to entertain our children versus impacting our children. And, and there's a balance to this, right? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that entertainment can't be useful. There's certainly a time and a place for it. But if all you ever do 
This is the choice that we make. You do whatever you want, right? If we decided that we weren't just going to always stick a screen in front of their faces to pacify them so that we didn't actually have to, you know, instruct them, deal with them, teach them, mold them, help them to grow into functional, responsible human beings. So I think so often in our society, is anybody offended yet? I'm, I'm going real hard. I'm trying. My goal is to offend everyone today because I'm offended, right? And it, like hurting people hurt people, and I'm hurt. So... We choose entertainment in regards to our parenting so often over, over impact. This is the reason. Oh, here's another one. It's, entertainment's a lot easier than awkward conversations. How many of you would consider yourself very conversational? And then there's the rest of us, right? And the rest of us are trying to keep up with y'all, and we just ain't very good at it, right? And, and what's so funny is, like, I'm, I'm okay. I can carry a conversation for a little bit, but what happens as over the course of time, like as the conversation, you know, it, it progresses, I kind of just run out of things to say. Whereas it's so interesting to me, Shelly never runs out of things to say. Ever. Ever. Like ever. Like even now, right? Ever. And, and, and at a certain point in the conversation, I'm just like, I think I've said everything. Like there's nothing else that I can think of to say that would add any value to this conversation. So then you get to the awkward part of the conversation where you're just like, well, and I think a lot of the guys understand. The ladies are like, I do not understand what he's talking about. It just doesn't make any sense. And so it's a lot easier to avoid that conflict or that, that awkwardness where you just don't have the conversations. You choose entertainment over, over impact. This is the reason, kind of this whole idea is the reason that you can have a room crowded with people, room full of people and there isn't a single person in the room that's interested in anyone else in the room. Have you seen it, right? We go, and, and, and I understand, like I really do, because I, like by nature, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm just so confused. Like I think I'm an introvert, but I do like people, but I only like you for a limited amount of time, right? I'm an ambivert, but I, you know, somewhere, somewhere in, in between, right? And so I get it. Like when you go into a room, you go into, like let's say, for example, you go into a waiting room or you go into an area where it's crowded, but you don't know the people. I mean... I would much rather look at my phone than to try to make up or strike up conversation with people that I do not know, and, and I'm probably not going to have a whole lot to say after about 30 seconds anyway, and then it's going to be really weird, and we have to stand here for 30 minutes, and I have nothing else to say to you, and I tried to make eye contact, but it was weird, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> this is what we should start doing, eye contact, like just crazy. Like, listen, y'all know you can see, you can spot crazy in the eyes, right? You can spot crazy in the eyes. There's two things, crazy in the eyes and distance. If, you, if they come too close, right, they're crazy. And so what you do, let me help you. I'm going to bless you real quick. This is what you do. When somebody, when you spot crazy and you see it in the eyes and they're trying to close the distance, you got to put your foot out. Right? Just got to create some distance. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and it's a, it's a friend. It's a guy that I know, a guy that I like. And man, he was just getting way too close. Way too close. And we're at the gym, and he's like, he's, and we're talking about stuff that we both care about, and he's just like getting closer and closer and closer. I'm like, I'm not kissing you. Stop. Back up. <laughs> but he's just, he's one of those guys that, that, that I guess the separate, the distance thing does not bother him. And for me, it's like, it, it's bothersome, right? So knock it off. It's awkward, right? So entertainment is, is a lot easier than impact. This is what Ultimately, what we're looking for is we're trying to be like Jesus. That's the goal, right? As a follower of Jesus, we're trying to be like Jesus. To be Christian means to be Christ 
like. And this is what Jesus did. Luke chapter 8, verses 42 through 45, it says this. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So Jesus is walking down the street and throngs of people, I love that, that word, throngs of people are pressing upon him, right? They're, they're, they're crowding him to the point that there's fear that he might be, might be crushed, might be trampled. And it says this, and a woman was there who had been subject to, the, to, to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So if you've been around church for, for any length of time, this is the, the story we call the woman with the issue of blood, just because we don't want to get any more specific than that, right? We just, we leave it at that. It's the woman with the issue of blood. And so for 12 years, she had this sickness. And so Jesus is coming to town and she's like, I have to get to Jesus. And so she does. She pushes through the crowd. And one version, one, one story goes that she touches the hem of his garment, right? Just the edge of his robe. And so this is what it says. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Okay, so that that is part A to the story. And it's an incredible part of the story, right? That Jesus, our healer, Jesus, our miracle worker does this, this thing. And it's so, I think sometimes we think things are hard for God. Things are hard for us. Things are not hard for God. And Jesus does a miracle without even being necessarily aware that he, I mean, he's, he is, but it's so easy that it's as if he's not even aware. It's just like, oh yeah, I did this miraculous thing. No big deal. Right. And so that's, that's the first part of the story. And it's so cool. What's interesting, the second part of the story, kind of what I would say that the part B to the story is, is that, that Jesus is surrounded, as it says, that the crowds almost crushed him, and Jesus is surrounded by people, and yet he is still hyper aware of the needs of the people who are near him. And th so this is kind of the end of that, that verse, and it says, let me, let me back up a little bit. It says, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? And so the, if you kind of read the rest of the story, the disciples are like, okay, he's lost it, right? Um, who touched you? Well, he did, she did, he did, he did, he did, she did, she did, that little kid did. Like there's hundreds of people around you. Of course, somebody's going to touch you. And, and so the story, as you know, or if, you, if you're not aware, the story is that Jesus is aware that this woman was the one who touched him, and, and Jesus was aware of the faith of the woman, and that faith is, is what ultimately healed her. And so what I love about this story, one of the things, I guess, kind of thinking about it in terms of, of choosing to make an impact, is Jesus was very aware of the needs of the people around him. And, and I just, I don't believe that we can make, we can have that same level of awareness, if, same level of awareness if we perpetually choose to be entertained. We, we are missing opportunities for impact when we are willingly subjecting ourselves to the entertainment of screens in this particular example, but it's not limited to that. So that's the first thing, is that entertainment is easier. Don't worry, the points get, they get less offensive as we go along. I'm kidding. Second one is this, entertainment. So we've got entertainment is easier. The second point is entertainment is safer. It's a lot safer. It's less risky, right? It's the reason, this is the reason, and this is the most extreme example that I could, I could think of offhand. This is the reason that you can have a group of people beating the crap out of an individual and nobody stops to help the individual that is getting the life beaten out of them. Instead, they pull their phones out to record it. Right? Everybody's like, world star, right? Let me record it. I want to be famous. I want to be known for something. You know what you're known for? You're known for being a complete jerk who... Okay. I have to be careful. Like, there are thoughts that go to my head, through to my head, through my head, that, that just do not need to come out my mouth. Um, sometimes they do. Sometimes it just... 
Right. Slip. So, so, so you're, this is what we do. This is, again, you've probably seen, there's, there's hundreds of examples of this where people just, for the sake of entertainment, choose to watch people's, their life is being impacted, but in, instead of choosing to make an impact, you would rather perpetuate entertainment. It, and you know what's so fascinating about this whole concept to me is the people that are the ones that pull out their phones and record stuff like this are the ones who scream about justice the loudest. Like, justice, we want justice for this people and this people and, and these people who are oppressed. And we're also simultaneously going to watch somebody get the crap beat out of them. And we're going to record it with our phone. And we're not going to do anything. And the reason why is entertainment's safer. Right? It's a lot safer to stand back and watch other people's lives be affected and to not put your own life at risk. And again, that, that is probably the most ex- extreme example that I can think of, you know, in terms of, of how this would play out. But... Using this analogy, this extreme analogy, could you imagine, just let, let's, let's do some role playing here. Let's just say you're Jesus, right? All right, let's not do that. That's too much. Let's just say we're watching a story unfold, and Jesus is, let's say Jesus is walking down the streets of Jerusalem. He's got his Jesus sandals on because he's Jesus, right? And he's walking down the streets of Jerusalem. He's got his disciples with him. I mean, that would be, that, that could be a pretty imposing crowd, right? He's got these 12 ruffians. Peter's a hothead. Like, he... This dude cut a bro's ear off. Like, I mean, I guess if you need uh, uh, somebody to be like your ride or die, Peter's the one. And so they're walking down the streets. And let's just imagine that Jesus sees, consider, another thing to consider. So conflict has always been a part of the human struggle, right? There's always been groups of people. There's always been animosity. There's always been people fighting for whatever reason. And so that's not something that's new. But just, just imagine that Jesus is walking down the street and he sees this group of people start beating up this, this one individual. Could you imagine that Jesus pulled out his iPhone 15 with titanium? Y'all seen the commercial for that? And it's like, got this. So I, okay, confession. I love subtitles. How many, how many of you read like you like subtitles? How many of you loathe subtitles? That's Shelly. What is, I just, it, wait, there's, there's, there's reason, like everybody complains about how loud it is, so then I turn the volume down and I put the subtitles on and I get both. And so it's just never enough for you people, never enough. And so anyway, on the iPhone 15 commercial, the, the subtitles, because it's making all of these like funky, like alien type noises, the subtitles are hilarious. You got to watch it. At any rate, so Jesus pulls out his iPhone 15 with titanium, made out of titanium, and he just starts recording this person that's getting jumped by several other people. I mean, I don't know what your view of Jesus is. Like, some people are like, well, Jesus was a pacifist. Well, Jesus loved people also. Um, and I suspect that Jesus' love of people would, would exceed, you know, his pacifist beliefs. I believe that Jesus, and I don't, I don't know what that scenario would look like, but I, you just could not convince me that it's okay to watch other people suffer and you are entertained by their suffering and you choose to be entertained by their suffering over making an impact. So let's soften the analogy a little bit. Let, let's talk, let's use sports as kind of a good analogy. This is always a great, a great place for me to go back to, right? I run out of things to say in conversation, so I'm just like, yeah, hey, how about them cowboys, right? And it's just, it gives us something, and, and unfortunately, they got beat by the Cardinals. How do you do that? It's ridiculous. So, so what we've got in, in sports, we've got this great analogy of, of, of not sitting on the sidelines, right? So the idea is, you know, it's, it's generally pretty safe on the sidelines unless, you know, the, the, the play goes 
off the field, which happens sometimes, but for the most part. But, but we don't even like to be on the sidelines. What we like to do is we would prefer, we actually want to get up in the, the crowd. We want to get up in the stands. We want to get up in the bleachers. And so we can have a better view of it. We can be entertained by it. And there is no risk for us. We're very safe up here. And so what you find is then, then people actually get further and further away. And it's kind of the, the old Babe Ruth analogy that the people with the cheapest seats have the loudest booze. Right? And, and I, I experienced this so clearly one time in my life. I went to a college baseball game, and we got, we got the seats in the outfield, right? And just, it was, was what it was, and it was friggin' hot. Like, it was ridiculous. And so we're, I didn't realize it, we're at the, kind of by the, the student section. And, and you know, here's what's fascinating. You, go to, you spend $40,000 a year to go to college, and all you learned is profanity. And, and how to use it very, very entertainingly, but also very just, so we're right by the, the student section and the bullpen. And I'm like, you, you fools paid $5 to get in here, and all you've done for three hours is yell at the people who actually do something, who actually work, who actually contribute, and who are actually probably going to go on and do something with your life, whereas you guys doesn't seem to be like you're on that path, right? So the, the loudest boos do come from the cheapest seats. What we've done is we've kind of bought hook, line, and sinker into the idea of, of church being about consumption. Church, church is something that we've also treated with the same mentality, the same approach. It's just like, well, I go to church to get something out of it. I go to church, you know, because I need to, to get a certain feeling out of it. I need to feel, as we say, a certain type of way as I go to church. And so instead of being consumers, what if, what if hypothetically, what if we were more interested in contributing than we were consuming? I believe the consumption is what has kind of, can I make fun of church real quick? I love church. I'm a, I'm a church person. I, will, I, will, I feel like church is one of those things that, that I, I have a responsibility to defend, and it doesn't seem very helpful that I would punch you if I had to make fun of church because that kind of gives church a bad name, right? Uh, but I just, I love, I love church, and church is, is not just our church, but I love the church, right? And, and the church is incredibly important. The church is what the, the model and the method that Jesus chose to use to deliver and convey the greatest message of all time. So I love the church. But man, we do some dumb stuff. We, we do some really dumb stuff collectively, and I'm sure we've done it too. And so what we've done is we've kind of created a system where it's all about entertainment, and, and then we're mad when people just want to be entertained. And we forget that ultimately it's about the people consuming and then contributing, not just only consuming. So it's, it's then you can be entertained for a little while. And I hope that entertainment, I hope it's edutainment, right? I hope you're entertained, but you learn something and that something that you learn then causes something to stir in your heart and you actually decide to give back and contribute and make a difference. And that's kind of the, the dichotomy that we live with, right? There's this conflict between entertainment and impact. So entertainment can be, it can be the enemy of our unique contribution, what it is that we're supposed to contribute, not just to, to our church specifically, but to the world around us. But it's a lot easier to sit behind the screen. It's a lot easier to sit behind the safety of the keyboard than it is to actually go and try to make a difference regarding the thing that you're complaining about. Have y'all noticed that? Like, people are so brave. You are audacious. You bad when you got that keyboard. Weird, you are a different person now that I see you face to face. You, I mean, you, you didn't say, you had some, some very colorful language last time that we, we crossed paths, which was not really us crossing paths, but you had all these things. To, you know what I'm talking about? I love it. I th I'm here for it. I'm just kidding. The, 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 one of the best ways that I've ever heard this kind of 
communicated and summed up is just make sure you bring the same energy, right? The same energy that you had when you were sitting behind that keyboard, make sure you bring that energy when you see me face to face. Every time. Let's go. Why are you so hostile on the front row? On the front row because you need church, right? Me too. So, so I just think about this whole idea of, of, of choosing safety versus choosing to, to, to kind of step out and experience some risk. And it makes me think about the life of Paul. So if you're not familiar with the life of Paul or just Paul in general, Paul was an apostle, wrote two-thirds of the books of the New Testament, just an incredible contributor to the church. And this is what Paul said about his own life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, he says this, I've, I've been in far more labors, far more imprisonments, I've been beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. They say that, that they would beat them, they would whip them 39 times because generally most people couldn't survive past 40. Like they would take them to the brink of death and then they would be like, okay, we're done. I hope you recover. Three times I was beaten with rods. Rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in danger from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Could you imagine trying to have a conversation with that guy about why you choose the safety of entertainment over the risk of impact? Could you imagine like how pathetic we have to look that we are so afraid to actually go out so often and try to make a difference and we choose to stay behind the safety of our screen? God, that'd be a weird conversation, wouldn't it? So entertainment is, is easier, entertainment is safer, and, and the last one, and this is probably the most damning one, is that not, people, that's such a weird thing to say, because people are like, oh, he cussed. I'm like, no, not, you know what I'm talking about? Because I'm like, is it? Is it not? It's not. I thought about, I thought about naming one of the, the messages before we kind of changed the, the theme. I was going to name one of the messages of the series, oh, hell no. As in, like, we don't want anybody to go to hell. Hell no, Right? And I was like, everybody's going to get offended. And I just said it anyway. So third point, I think as long as you say it with some soul, you can get away with it, right? Oh, hell no. Stop. If you're, if you're real churchy, you, did not like, you don't like this church. If you, if you didn't already, I'm sure. All right, last point. We'll wrap this thing up. I don't know how you land. I don't know how you come back from that. Last point is this, entertainment, so entertainment is easy, entertainment is safer, and, and the last one, and probably, again, the most problematic one is that entertainment is addictive. One of the reasons that this is a potential issue is because this thing has actually morphed into, it's a clinical, clinically diagnosable psychological disorder where we now, the same way that we're addicted to drugs, the same way that we're addicted to alcohol, the same ways that we can be addicted to, to pornography, the same ways that we can be addicted to all of these different things, we are now addicted to a screen. So the, the latest study that I saw was that 13.1% of the general population has a full-blown screen addiction. I don't know what the threshold is, like where, where that is, how you, you measure that necessarily, but that's, that's the numbers that I've got, right? So 13.1% addiction, 
And then it says problematic users were to be found to be 34.5%. So you've got roughly half of the population who have a very problematic relationship with the screen, which would be, you know, again, to me, a problematic relationship with entertainment and a negligent relationship with impact. So, so, and it kind of makes sense when I think about just as I go through my life on the daily, right, on the day-to-day, -day, and we go to these different places, and it's like, yeah, you do, you don't. You do, you don't. You do, you don't, right? And as you kind of go down the line, and people are, and, and maybe I'm one of them from time to time, where you're just ignoring everyone, and you're so obsessed with whatever it is that's right in front of you, I'm like, yeah, it's a problem. It's a thing that we need to be aware of. This, this thing actually operates like any other addiction. It plays on our, our physiology and our chemistry, and it takes advantage of one of the chemicals that we love, that dopamine. We love that dopamine. And, and I mean, just, right? We love it. And so we keep coming back for more. And as they say, it's all downhill from there, right? It goes, it goes downhill pretty quickly. Now, so, so entertainment and the addictive nature of it, it's downhill. Impact, on the other hand, is, is very much uphill. It's, very mu it's like pushing a stone uphill. And it takes a tremendous amount of effort day after day after day. Because I believe, I really believe we default, it's more natural for us to fall into this idea or this mode of being entertained. And it is much more intentional. It's much more about work and, and being aware and pushing the stone up the hill that we make this, this impact and choose this impact day after day after day. And, and so being aware that our tendency is, kind of the proclivity is to be entertained, it helps us, I think, to, to address it. So one of my favorite Probably one of my favorite quotes ever, not my favorite, my favorite is the, the man in the arena quote uh, that I can never remember because it's so long and I'm like, it's my favorite and I don't even know it. It's terrific. But one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Leonard Ravenhill. So Leonard Ravenhill was a, a pastor actually in Lindale, not far from here, um, but he was from England and he had this terrific, like, you know, English accent. I believe that if you have an English accent, you're just a little bit smarter than the rest of us. It's just the way that it is, right? So the, the quote was... And it offended me the first, I don't know, 600 times I've heard it, and it still, offended, it still offends me um, because it is so true. It says this, entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. And I think that's why this is such an important issue, right? There is a place for entertainment. Like, I, I believe that there is nothing wrong with it. In fact, I kind of believe in the old to recreate is to recreate, right? To have some downtime so that you can shut your brain off and chill and all that stuff so that you can then go do whatever you do, right? The things that really matter. So, so there's certainly a balance to all of this. But I also know that, that like anything, too much is always too much, Right, And so once we allow entertainment to have a place of prominence in our life and we start to neglect the impact that we're called to have, then we've allowed entertainment to be the substitute for the joy. And this is where, to me, it starts to make this, this very clear connection to our hearts, right? So what we find so often is people choose to be entertained because they've got this brokenness in their life, this brokenness in their heart. They feel unfulfilled. They feel unsatisfied. They feel discontented. And so as a result of that, what do we do? We just, we mask, we consume, we entertain, we, we dull our senses with, with the consumption so that we don't have to deal with the fact that we've got this brokenness in our hearts. We've got this emptiness in our hearts. We've got this, this lacking, and I, I, I always say that I hate using this expression, but I always use this expression. It's the, like the 1980s uh, evangelism tagline, right? Like there's this God-shaped hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill, and I, and I hate it, and I absolutely love it all at the same time. Like, I hate it because it's old, which is dumb because I'm old. I love myself somewhat, right? 
but I, but I love it because of the reality of it, right? There is this emptiness, and, and we try to fill this emptiness with so many different things, and what we find is that the emptiness can only really be filled by one thing, and I think we think that entertain, we think, I think, we think that entertainment is is the solution to that problem, and it is not the solution to that problem. Jesus is the solution to that problem. A relationship with him is the solution to that problem. And so, listen, you can try, and you can try, and you can try to entertain that thing to death, and you're going to find out. It's it's like the latter shall be greater, and, and vice versa is true. I don't even know where I was going with that. I had, I had a really clever thought. Speaking of clever thoughts, so y'all see this? fancy we had this we've got the same pulpit we've had the same pulpit for like 12 years like literally since the beginning so uh the the volunteers decided that they appreciated me enough it's pastor appreciation month um nobody ever tells me they appreciate me it's cool it's good i was like no, i'm just i was thinking about this earlier i was like man i wish my kids were in on this you know maybe maybe they would understand a little bit of appreciation uh that didn't happen it's cool so anyway they built this thing isn't that dope? And I've also determined that they're really just trying to hide me a little bit better because it's bigger. I guess my fit, my fit isn't good enough. My drip isn't right. So they're trying to hide the rest of that. That was funny. Thank you. So let's get back. <laughs> Made myself cough. Uh, so, so let's get back to it. Let's finish this thing. The screen, the screen is not the problem. And we do this, right? I, like, I'm guilty of it. Like, and I've said things like, oh, technology and social media, and I think that artificial intelligence is going to take over and run everything, and probably we're going to be subjugated to robots at some point, whatever. Right, so we, we, blame, we blame technology. Technology is not the problem. Our hearts, our hearts are the problem. And so I have a couple of thoughts on things that we can do to help us keep this, this darkness at bay, right? The first one was, so if it is a sickness, consider these the antidotes, right? The first one is this. If... If you struggle with, with kind of, again, the proclivity to be entertained, the, the, the feeling that, that maybe you're defaulting, you're leaning that direction, why don't, just a suggestion, I'm not telling anybody what to do because nobody likes to be told what to do, but I have a suggestion. What if, you, what if you put some, like, limitations on yourself? What if you had some screen time limitations for yourself and you actually imposed the limitations and not just blew by them and be like, oh, well, I'll do it next week. Don't treat it like you treat your diet. Because every diet starts on Monday, and then Monday you're like, well, it'll start on Wednesday. Wednesday's a better day. It's like home day. And then it's like, well, Friday's coming up. I can't start next Monday. <clears throat> so let's not treat our screen time limits. I was thinking about it like this. With our children, for example, again, not telling anybody what to do with your kids, but with our kids, we didn't give them phones until a little bit later. Um, I just, I think it's a lot better place to be personally. You do what you want to do, but we, we know that the young undeveloped mind is a playground for disaster when you start giving these, these opportunities for the dopamine and chemicals and all that stuff. Just do the research, like, and, and you'll figure it out really, really quickly. So, we didn't give our kids phones until they were a little bit older, and, and so even then, when we gave them phones, there are still limitations, right? They're, they're at a certain point, that song gun don't work no more. It's just like, hey, your phone is disabled until six o'clock in the morning. And so it just, we have limitations on what it is that they can do. So if you, if you are inclined to struggle with this entertainment over impact thing, maybe just put some limitations on your own, do a self-imposed sanction, right? Self-imposed ban limitation on your screen time. And, and I don't even know what that looks like for any, any person individually, but what if you just did like a percentage? 
What if, what if hypothetically you were, you spent five hours a day on your phone, on screen time? And you can look that. It's real easy. Don't do it. You'll, you'll feel just utterly gutted and embarrassed that you spent that much time on your phone, I'd imagine. And so let's say it's five hours. And so that five hours, 60 minutes in an hour, 300 minutes. Let's say you dropped it by 10%, 10%. So then you knock off 30 minutes of that. So instead of five hours, you spend four and a half hours. Think about what you could do with that extra 30 minutes a day to be impactful over the, the comfort of being entertained. Just a thought. Another solution, another alternative, another potential solution to this particular problem is what, what if we thought about the, the approach instead of, instead of consuming and being entertained, what if we look for some alternatives? I'll give you one good example of this. So I love, I think the Bible app on our phones is probably one of the coolest things ever. Like it's so, so fascinating. I think they passed like a billion downloads, maybe a year ago or so. And it's fascinating, right, that, that the technology can be used to get God's word into parts of the world that, that maybe never would have had that opportunity otherwise or would have been much more difficult otherwise. But I also am fully aware that technology has some hangups, right? It has some limitations. It has some problems. You know what I did the other day? So I busted out my, my 20-year-old, like this thick Bible, because the thicker your Bible is, the more spiritual you are. So what I was told when I was younger, I was like, it's got to be true. Like the preachers, they had the big Bibles, right? The ones that they slammed down. And so I pulled out my 20-year-old wore out, like broke down Bible. And I'm very proud that my, my Bible is wore out because I've also heard that if your Bible's wore out, your life probably isn't. I'm going to say it one more time. Walk up slowly and say, I'm just kidding. If your Bible's wore out, your life probably isn't. So I busted this thing out. And it's, it's so cool because what you can do is you can go back. And what I do is I just kind of date whenever I read something. And then, you, of course, you have notes, kind of notations in the, the margins and stuff like that. And, man, you want to talk about just like this, this incredibly spiritual reminiscing thing, right, where you go back and see where you were and what you've learned. And there are times where it's incredibly convicting because you're like, man, I was, I, was, I was at a better place then than I am right now. What's up with that? Let's get back to that, right? Uh, and so here's what, again, choosing the alternative here. You know what I've never gotten from my Bible? I've never gotten a text alert. I've never gotten a, a Snapchat notification. I've never gotten an email from, from my, my Bible. So I don't have the distractions, right? I can actually focus on something that matters, and I'm not being inclined. I'm not being misdirected. I'm not being distracted by technology. Just a thought. Like, knock the dust off that thing and use it and see see if you can make a little more progress in, in this regard. And so this is what I want us to take away from this. I, I hope, what I hope is that, I mean, I kind of hope you feel attacked, but I also hope you don't feel attacked, right? Does that make sense? One of the things that I wrote about Motion Church when we started Motion Church that I wanted Motion Church to be is that I wanted it to be a place of comfort for the afflicted and a place of affliction for the comforted. It's like if, if, man, if you're broken and you come to this place, I hope you feel loved. I hope you understand that, that God loves you, we love you, that God's got a plan for your life. But if you're here and you've been doing this thing for a little while and you've gotten complacent and comfortable, I hope, I hope that you are afflicted into action, right? That you do something with what you know. And so what I hope that we learn from this, what I hope that we're aware of from this is, again, just our, our proclivity to be entertained and desire to be entertained at the sake of or at the expense of impact. Let's choose impact. Let, let's choose to make a difference like Jesus made a difference. That is our goal. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much. 
for, for using these methods to convey truth. God, that you use the things around you to help people understand you. God, and I pray that you would do this in the same way with this modern technology, right? God, we, we believe that ultimately everything can lead us to truth. And I pray that we find truth in this. God, when we see this reflection and it reveals some things about our hearts, we can understand it and then we can get to work on it. God, if, if we're here, God, and our lives are, are becoming increasingly about being entertained and less about impact, God, I pray that you would convict us and then that you would help us to get, get out of that, to get away from that and be more about people. God, to remember that even though you were, you were busy, God, you were on your way, you were on a mission, and you're followed and, and kind of pressed in on by this crowd that you took the time and you spent the time with this one person being aware of their needs. God, help us to live like that. Jesus, we love you and we're so thankful for you. It's in your incredible name we pray and everybody say, amen.